We're a searching. We are a searching people. Typically always looking, often curious, looking behind that door. And one of the things that frequently underlines all that is the search for hope. And this Christmas month, the Advent time, we're pursuing that search with you with the core belief that the central answer to hope resides in Christ. And we're going to be exploring that together in these next weeks together. Let's pray as we start. Father, it's not surprising to me that all of the songs that we've sung this morning really have been lifted out of the numerous scriptures we're going to read today. And we see the themes just emanating from scripture that we've been singing. We pray that you've been well pleased with them. We pray that you've been exalted. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you've been acknowledged. And we would pray that you would speak in and through your word to us today. We invite you to do this now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. On Thursday night, just a couple days ago, there was a bunch of people here at the church. And they were busy decorating the sanctuary and in the lobby and in the gym and the different areas of the church. And, and people got to exercise their creative abilities and just have some fun together. And, you know, typically each one of us has a different favorite part, I think, of the decorations that we gravitate to. And so if you're taking the service in from home, uh, it could be that you have some decorations you probably do up in your house. And there's one part of those decorations that maybe you appreciate more than others. If you're here in the building this morning, perhaps you're looking at the trees as your favorite thing or the wreaths that are hung around the building, or the ornaments, or the greenery that's all on display up there and out in the lobby and different places like that. And we typically gravitate to one of these images. And it's interesting to me that the prophet Isaiah, who lived 700 years or so before Christ was born, he had a very different image in mind when it came to the season of Advent. And Advent is that time where we, that season or that era when we celebrate the coming and the birth of Christ. And Isaiah had a very different image that he suggested to us when we look for fulfillment in terms of this search for hope. And this is basically the image right here in front of me. The stump of a tree with some of its roots extending out. It's not the kind of image we typically think of in the search for hope or the Advent season or the Christmas season. Because when you look at that tree stump, it certainly appears right away to look very dead. 
It looks a little bit withered. And we're thinking to ourselves, you know, that tree stump, that's not going to produce anything. The only thing that something like that could actually produce is maybe some decorations to put on a shelf, if you like that kind of thing. Or if I took a match to it, it would produce some heat and some light for a short period of time. And yet, interestingly, the image of a tree stump is the image that Isaiah chose to represent the season of Advent. If you have your Bible or your device, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is found, if you're looking in your hard copy, right to the right of center in your Bible. If you come into the book of Psalms, just go to the right a little bit. You're going to come to Isaiah. If you come to Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you've gone a little too far. Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 to 9. Isaiah chapter 11 Verses 1 to 9. And the prophet, as I said, writing 700 years before the initial fulfillment of this passage, because it, it has, a, it has a, a fulfillment about 700 years later, but also there's stuff to come in the latter part of the nine verses. And listen to the image that's presented, especially in verse 1. Isaiah writes, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And we're really moving into some future fulfillment now. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the Lord will be full of the knowledge, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The stump of Jesse is referring in a general sense to the tribe of Judah, which is one of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And it's specifically referring to King David. David is the great king of Israel, basically seen as the greatest king in the history of Israel. The scriptures describe David as a man after God's own heart. Even though he had his sinful choices in his life, he was a man who pursued God with all his heart, and he was a man after God's own heart. And so Isaiah says the royal line of David 
will be like a stump, a tree stump, not unlike this. But it says in verse 1, let me reread it. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. A tree stump, not unlike this, is going to have something come from it. Now, this is all a little bit confusing, at least it is for me, when you first read this stuff. Because we know historically, as a matter of historical fact, that David's earthly dynasty more or less ended after four centuries. That Israel, because of their each individual ongoing personal sin, but also really just sweeping nationwide unrepentant habitual sin because of these things, even though they received received more warnings than you can count from God, because of this stuff, their judgment of God came. And it led to judgment, it led to war, it led to captivity from foreign nations. And around, in and around that time, the line of King David and his family lineage was almost destroyed. And yet, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's a prophetic word from God himself. When God says to David, despite all of what's about to come in the coming centuries, your line will never end. Let me read it to you from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. God says to him, a promise. He says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be, sta- will be established forever. And so he's saying in real time, but in future time, and actually for all eternity, this will remain. Verse 1 of Isaiah 11 has this idea of this image. The image of the tree stump with the roots coming out. But it also says, prophetically, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And they're putting a picture up on your computer screen at home or on the screen behind me now. And I want you to contrast the images of the withered tree stump and then the tree stump with a shoot coming out of it. Think about that with me for a minute. There's something incredibly profound in these images. I invite you to savor it for a minute. Because that picture on the screen is the image of hope. Searching for hope. It's searching for the most important hope in all of history. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you were to read the whole chapter, which I'd encourage you to do later, David says to God, can I build a temple for you? I'd like to build a spectacular, unprecedented in the history of the world place of worship for you. We will spare no expense. We will use spirit-filled 
people that do the absolute best craftsmanship and we will prepare a house of worship that the world has never seen. And in chapter 7, God says, no, you may not. But your son will do it. But because, David, you are a man after my own heart, I am going to do something even greater than that in and through your life. I will continue your line. I will continue the house of David forever. And from that line will come Messiah, the shoot, the hope of the world. And he will live and reign forever. And Isaiah in those nine verses that I read to you moments ago is talking all about Messiah, the hope of the world. And he says in those nine verses that the spirit-filled God-man is going to come and he will reign for eternity. And the spirit-filled God-man will literally be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will give him supernatural gifts, the gifts of wisdom, the supernatural gift of understanding and of power. And it says in verses four and five, he will be a righteous judge. And he will live, and he will die, and he will rise from the dead. He will ascend to the right hand of the Father. And one day, as it talks about in verses 6 through 9, one day he'll return, he'll come a second time, and he will usher in this permanent eternal kingdom. And the images of what that will look like are in those verses. And this is what is represented in verse 1 of Isaiah 11. When you think about a stump like this that's in front of me, and then the image that was on the screen with the green shoot coming up, the hope of the world. New life will spring out of that stump, and the image carries with it, at least figuratively, the idea of resurrection. And in the Advent story, as we were singing about just a few minutes ago, we learn, as we, we, we sang from that Micah passage, that in, in the book of Micah, one of the other prophets of Israel, in chapter 5, verse 2, we are prophetically told that a baby will be born in Bethlehem. And this search for hope is fulfilled supernaturally in the New Testament era with the birth of Jesus the Lord Jesus Christ, whose lineage can be traced back, his human lineage, right back to King David. And of course, as Christ, his lineage will never end. And so he will be called among one of his many descriptive names. They didn't just give names to people, they used descriptive names. One of his many descriptive names was he was a son of David. And it says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, the root of Jesse will and did prevail. Now, all the teachers of the law, the religious elite of that day, the intellectual cream of the crop in that day that hated Jesus, they all knew 
prophetically from scripture because they knew verbatim and they spent all day talking about Old Testament scriptures that Messiah would be a son of David. That he would be a direct descendant of David. And because they felt threatened by Jesus, because they hated the fact that he was who he was, they also hated the fact that the people rightfully so called him a son of David. And they were all mixed up about who Messiah really was and in particular what his mission would be. They thought Messiah, and still do to this day, would simply be a human being. They thought Messiah would be a spectacular man who would become a warrior king who would be political in his motivation. And he would bring through war as the warrior king, the nation of Israel to a place of prominence on the world stage. And if they had seen it fulfilled at their, in their lifetime, they would see them throw, Israel throwing off the oppressor, oppressor Rome and becoming the nation in the world. And so they sadly misunderstood who Messiah really was and what his mission would be. And one day, Jesus decided to school them in this. And when he was done, their mouths were hanging open and the text we're about to read, it says they didn't, after he spoke to them, they didn't dare ask him another question because they're absolutely floored by what he does. Because he shows them in this passage that yes, Messiah would be a human being, a hundred percent human being, born from the lineage of David, but he would also be a hundred percent divine. Not intermixed, not portioned out, the spirit-filled God-man, that Messiah was God. And in Matthew 22, if you were to read that chapter, we see the Pharisees going at Jesus. This is an ongoing, evolving story in the Gospels. They want to catch him. They want to trip him up. And so they ask him these series of carefully prepared questions to try and get him to say something that they could accuse him based on this. And they would try to discredit him based on their 600-plus man-made laws. But as I said, when he was done with them that day, he stunned them into silence because he asked them a question in return. And so again, if you have your Bible or your device, turn over to the book of Matthew. As we move from that Old Testament era where they're searching to the New Testament era, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 41. So all through the chapter, they ask him a series of questions. They try to get him to be political, all those kinds of things, and he won't bite. But in verse 41, it says this, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And of course, they knew the answer right away. The son of David, they replied. When Jesus asked them this question, he is asking the most important theological question there ever could be asked. Every other theological question, as important as it might be, pales in comparison to this question. 
Because what he is asking them is this. What do you believe about Christ? And when I ask that question, I mean, what do you really believe about Christ? Do you believe he was who he says he was? And do you believe he did what he said he would do? This is what he is asking them. He said to them, you know, if you really believe that, guys, he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking about King David, a man after God's own heart, speaking by the Spirit, so David is filled with the Spirit, David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord. For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus quotes from Psalm 110 to say, David, filled with the Spirit, calls the coming Messiah Lord. In Hebrew, Adonai. A name that is only used to refer to God. And Jesus is saying, if David calls Messiah Lord, if, Jesus, if, if David calls Messiah God, how can he then be his son? They didn't dare ask him another question. Because Jesus has shown them from Scripture, the Scripture they studied every day, and yet missed the big idea. They missed the forest for the trees. He has shown them from Scripture that Messiah would be a fully, human, fully functioning human being, but he would also be fully God. Let me give you two points of so what. Two points of application. Think about this with me. We're in the days of celebrating and acknowledging the birth and the coming of Jesus, the season of Advent. Let me ask you the same question that Jesus asked the Pharisees. Who do you really believe that Christ is? I mean really believe. Not just a polite, I think he's God, because that's what I'm supposed to say. Who do you really believe he is? If you really believe he was who he said he was and still is, and if you really believe he did what he said he would do and is still doing, that truth, if you really believe it, actually believe it, will change your life. It will change what is most important for you at Christmas time. It will change who is in charge of your life. Having a relationship with God is not just about going to heaven. It's so much more than that. And if you think that's all it's about, you've missed it. It's not only about going to heaven. It's about having a day-by-day relationship with Jesus where he is actually the Lord of your life. Like David said, he is my Lord. 
And it will change who is in charge of every day. It will change your priorities in life. It will change how you spend your resources and your time and your energy and your finances. It will change how you see people because you know that every person you encounter matters to God. That despite your personal feelings about them, he loves them. And Jesus came for them and he wants us to love them and point them to him. And so what I want to do is I want to just take a couple of minutes of silence to have you pray and ask yourself that very serious question. What does it mean to me if I actually do believe it? That Jesus is who he says he is and continues to be. And Jesus did what he said he would do and is still doing it. Take a couple moments of silent to pray. Then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to each one of them here in the room or online. Help me to know the greatness of who you are. Help each of us to revel in the greatness of who you are. I pray you'd move in my heart and move in their heart and help us to know you more. The second point, the second so what. I want you to think about the two stumps with me. The stump on the table here. And then the picture on the screen behind me or on your computer screen at home. I don't know how you're feeling about life right now. How are you feeling about life in general? But I want to give you hope. Because at Christmas time, we're reminded that God has the ability to work through brokenness. He has the ability to take that which is broken and when you look at that tree or stump, seemingly dead to take that which is weak and not able to produce anything that seems completely finished, God has the ability to make big things out of small, to take that which is and looks dead and give it life. He has the ability to change the agenda. And he is absolutely in the business of redeeming anyone and everything and anything 
for his glory. I don't know how you're feeling right now about life. But what does he have for you? I conclude by reading from Romans chapter 15. It says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.